0: Today's readings taken from Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 to 36. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the sons of Sipha, his father's wives, and he brought their father, a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Jacob more than any of any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers they hated him all the more he said to them listen to this dream i had we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told this to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his fathers as well as his brothers, his fathers rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. "'Here comes that dreamer,' they said to each other. "'Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what what comes of his dreams.' When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. "'Let's not take his life,' he said. "'Don't shed any blood.' Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his rope, the richly ornamented rope he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Jeelahad. The camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianites, Merchants came by. His brothers pulled Joseph up to the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's rope, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the rope in the blood. He took the ornamented rope back to the father and said, we found this. Examine it and to see whether it is your son's rope. He recognized it and said, It is my son's rope. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Joseph tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, In mourning, I will go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks, Rebecca. Um, If you could have your Bibles open to... Genesis thirty-seven. We'll go through various parts of it, and I think it's a very encouraging. Um, we're going to sin uh, talk about sin, but I think it's a very encouraging passage if you've had, if you come from a dysfunctional family, because this is much worse. <laughs> uh, but that, it won't be about that. but let, Let's pray that God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we give you great thanks for your son, Jesus, we thank you so much that you don't leave us in our sins alone, uh, that you have come to rescue us from ourselves and from the consequences of our sins. And we pray that as we come to this text, that you will convict us of our hidden sins, that it may not affect others, uh, that we might be able to live our lives to uh, for, for your name's sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sin looks very enticing, doesn't it? It would satisfy my curiosity and desires. It would get me the things that I want probably more easily. It seems like it's the simplest solution to many of the problems that we face. I mean, a little lie would cover up so much. We all know that at the back of our minds that the sin is not a good thing, that disobedience to God has its consequences, But sometimes, uh, and sometimes irrevocably, but we sin anyway. And God so warns us about consequences of ours and how terrible that actually is through the Bible. And that this part of sto- uh, this story, this part, I think, is about sin. There's this idea that uh, the people in the Bible have halos around them, that they're holy people and they're always to be imitated. But I hope it's been obvious to you that that's not the case. They were ordinary people like you and me. and many, In many cases, actually, they're people that you wouldn't want as friends. I mean, think about having Jacob as friends. Jacob was a guy who really wanted to get anything out of you, all the, from all the people around him. And you hope that uh, he would learn from his mistakes, and that the next generation is a bit better because of uh, his, uh, because how he grew in, in, in wisdom. But well, that's not the case with his children he didn't seem to learn, he didn't seem to have learned anything, and his children make the same mistakes. In fact, so many of Jake, what Jacob did is actually repeated here in this generation, in Jacob's children, that we know that this isn't an accident, and the Bible actually carefully puts this parallel between Jacob and Jacob's children. For example, the younger son. Uh, think, if you think about a younger son, is chosen as though the, the person uh, for the next in both generations, Rebecca is told that Jacob uh, will rule over uh, his brother Esau, the older son. And in our story today, Joseph is the younger son who is chosen to rule over other people. And the entire family would bow down to him. But more sinisterly, it's the it's the sin that gets repeated here to the next generation. You remember how Isaac favored Esau and Rebecca, the younger son, Jacob. You remember how damaging that was and how Jacob really longed to, uh, he craved his father's affection and love. Unfortunately, that cycle of favoritism is repeated again here. And it's obvious again, uh, he, he's ma- he he makes it very obvious, verse 3, if you look at it. He says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him uh, in his old age. It's not just the age that Joseph was born, but also he is one of two sons uh, of of his favorite wife, Rebecca, I mean, uh, Rachel. Uh, His favorite wife, the the, the person for whom uh, he had worked for 14 years, 14 years. And just to make it obvious to everybody else that he favored Joseph over everybody else, he made an ornate robe for him. Commentators say that it could have been this multicolored colored uh, tunic, but more likely it was more like a, a prince's tunic, something that made him stood out to say, actually, this is my favorite child. And the commentators say also that it might have indicated that he was going to be the one who will inherit, uh, 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 inherit the, uh, the father's riches. Can you imagine what kind of a damage that might have done for his relationship with his brothers? After all, Uh, And Jacob should have known better. Jacob knew that this was not uh, what it's, uh, what a terrible thing it is not to be favored. In Jacob's life, this resulted in Esau's hatred and also his vowing to kill his brother Jacob. And as a result of Jacob's favoritism of Joseph, his brothers, and the the, the result is similar. We're told in verse 4 that when his brothers saw, that their father loved Joseph more than any others, they hated him and could not say a kind, kind word. And of course, they later uh, on plot to kill him. When they see him coming from a distance, they say, "Ah, here comes that dreamer. He's not really a brother in their mind. Uh, When they took that robe, uh, uh, he's just a dreamer. When they uh, took that robe and soaked it in the blood and and, and presented it to uh, their father... In verse 32, they say, We found this, examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He says, It is, examine it to see if this is your son, his, uh, your son's robe. It's, they speak as if they're not related to each other. And it's also interesting how gullible the fathers are. Isaac gets fooled by Jacob's trick, um, putting on that goatskin as he pretended to be uh, the hairy brother Esau. I mean, I think. He does doubt, but I mean, it, it, it really is silly. <laughs> but of course, this time, Jacob himself is fooled by his sons when uh, he's presented with, uh, uh, with a robe, uh, soaked in blood. In both cases, uh, it's, the, it's the goat that gets killed. And these coincidences are not coincidences. The narrator has carefully selected these details to present to us because they, he wants us to know, he wants us to learn something. He's trying to tell us that this is a deja vu event. It's happening all over again. It happened to Jacob, and it's happening to Joseph. It's happening in this generation all over again. Jacob, although he wrestled with God, although he encountered God in definitive ways in several, many, many times in his life, he never learned his lessons from his sins and his mistakes. And when one doesn't learn from his sins, when he's not aware of them, when he's not repentant of them, sins and their consequences will repeat again. Not just in the lifetime, but in the future generations as well. Jacob's favoritism, the very thing that drove Jacob to do terrible things, sorry, Isaac's favoritism, the very thing uh, that that drove Jacob to do this, this thing resulted in another generation of dysfunction. Unrecognized, unchecked and unrepentant sins will repeat itself. And we know this from our experience, too, don't we? I mean, children of alcoholics, they're four times more likely to be alcoholics themselves than the general population. People have been abused are much more likely to abuse others. When you grow, grew up in a violent home, you're much more likely to perpetuate that violence. It becomes an option when it really shouldn't be. It, become, it might actually become the norm. And I'm sure you have personal stories of how your parents and their parenting have affected you. Uh, Some are surprised. I think Mary's not surprised anymore. Um, When I say actually that I have a temper problem, I lose my cool and I I, I just lose temper and I just shout. I have to just get it out. Uh, And when I get really frustrated, and I'm not blaming my dad, but I'm aware of that tendency in myself because I, I saw it in my dad uh, when he had these uh, temper tantrums. My father's flaws have been passed down to me. And this happens in all of us. So be careful. Be careful. Your impatience, temper... Gluttony, alcoholism, favoritism, addiction, greed, war war callism, jealousy, uh, insecurities, or whatever sins that you might be struggling with right now, it inevitably affects others, and it inevitably affects your children, the next generation. Remember what Lord said to Cain in chapter 4, Genesis 4. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it you must master it. The application isn't just be careful, do better, but also application should be we should be aware of our flaws. We should ask God to reveal our character flaws, reveal our sins to us, because if we don't, if, we, if we're not aware, if we don't know what our sins are, of course, it will affect others because it's, we don't even know this is our problem. So be real about your sins and your sinful characters. Be honest to yourself and say, this is a problem. I need to master it. I need to, I need God to let me know what it is, what my problems are, so that I might be aware of them and to, I can work on them. I can plead with God that God would come and sanctify me. Of course, the good news is that our godliness is also infectious. It does affect our future generations. Praise God. But also, let's not take our sins uh, too lightly. But as we talked about uh, this already, most of us do take our sins seriously and consequences as well. And yet, and yet, we continue to sin. Often, doing doing wrong seems much more attractive than doing what is right. And that is what happens to to the brothers. Remember, the cause of the whole problem what drove the brothers to plot murder and sell Joseph wasn't Joseph's bad reports about them. I mean, it didn't help that Joseph comes back with the bad reports about his brothers and he goes straight to his dad. Um, he seems a little bit bratty. He comes and has these dreams, but he's sort of socially awkward. He doesn't, he doesn't really realize what telling these dreams to his brothers and to his parents might do to that relationship. It wasn't the robe, uh, uh, it wasn't, uh, it, it, but it wasn't Joseph. Um, it wasn't even the robe, but what the robe symbolized. Their father loved Joseph more than others, more than, uh, more than them. And so that's why they, they wanted Jacob to love them. And so that's, that, that was the cause of this problem. And who doesn't want to be loved by their father? And their solution to this problem was, let's get rid of Joseph. The one that Jacob loved, and it's interesting. In verse nineteen, if you look at it, it says, "Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and, and say that a ferocious animal had devoured him." They would tell their father that a ferocious animal had devoured at Joseph. Well, after they throw him into the cistern, at Reuben's urging, in verse twenty-five, they sat down, and it, it says they ate their meal. Of course, that Hebrew word is exactly the same. They devoured their meal. The narrator is comparing the, uh, Joseph's brothers to the ferocious animals. They have become this ferocious animal. They didn't kill him, well, at Judah's urging. But uh, because he thinks killing his brother, this is the first time when they mention that they're related by blood. Killing bro- their brother is a bad thing, verse 26. After all, they say in 27, he's, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. But then Judah says, "Let's sell him instead to slavery, as if that's an acceptable thing to do to their brother." And to their to add to their growing list of sins, they have this cover up, don't they? They talk about it. They collude together and present uh, this uh, robe soaked in goat's blood, and they do this because they craved Jacob's love. But of course, sin doesn't pay. It doesn't work. When they bring back his robe after soaking into blood, the, the narrator records Jacob's reaction in verse 34. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on the sackcloth, cloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Maybe the, the brothers thought that if Joseph is gone, they could take that place because, I mean, it is natural for a father to um, sort of transfer. Maybe, you know, if you've lost one son, you would transfer that love on the other sons and say you would love, it might seem natural uh, to love them more. But that's not what happens. He cannot be comforted. He says he will grieve until he dies. Instead of being loved more, uh, Jacob grieves for the rest of his life, and his grief becomes a reminder of how how he, they, they weren't loved as much as, uh, as Joseph for the rest of their lives. Sin does not pay. And once again, we know this. The best of human wisdom tells us that sin doesn't pay. Uh, Uh, Dostoevsky's, the the famous uh, book, uh, Crime and Punishment, you know, he murders this person because he thinks this is the best solution to the problem, but he's just constantly tortured by his conscience. Sin doesn't pay. Shakespeare's Macbeth um, deals with the same theme as well. After the initial murder, Lady Macbeth and Macbeth have to tell lies and commit more murder to cover up their own, uh, uh, the initial uh, murder. Lies beget lies, murder begets more murder, guilt cannot be... uh, 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 a lessoned, and that famous series, uh, House of Cards, which you really shouldn't watch. I'm sorry, uh, but deals with the same theme. A man who is driven by his own ambition commits one sin, one murder, or one lie, or whatever, and he has to cover up his track by telling more lies and committing more more crimes, and that whole thing is built. I mean, appropriately, it's a it's a it's built. His power is built upon lies. It's a house of cards that is waiting to come crashing down. Disobeying God looks like it would lead to freedom but it only leads to slavery. Sin might look attractive momentarily, but when we look at its nature, it is ugly. Adultery, sexual sex outside of marriage might look enticing at the moment, but it will affect your marriage. It inevitably does. Violence might look like a good solution to the problem, but it will have all sorts of unintended consequences. Greed and money demands our sacrifice of our family, our health, many times... Um, how many times have you wished that you, would, you could swallow back the words that you say because you know, it just felt right to say these terrible words, but then you just wish uh, that you could just swallow them back and undo the damage. Sin does not pay. Sin damages. And it's tempting to solve our problems of uh, one wrong with another wrong, especially if that first wrong was our wrongdoing, if it's our fault. But again, but again and again, the Bible tells us how terrible the consequences of sins are. The sin does not pay, and we know that uh, that sin's bad, and it's got it has devastating consequences. Um, that sometimes it doesn't get it; it just doesn't uh, affect us, but also the next generation. But this is the good news: that God does not leave us in our sins alone to deal with our sins alone, to deal with our consequences, the, the consequences of our sins alone. But God is God who wants to deal with our sins. He wants to be with us. That's the good news that is seen in this text. Even though it's interesting that actually this text doesn't mention God at all. There's no God mentioned in, in, in all of it, but God is present at every part of this story. Think about the, uh, just the, the, the dreams dreams, uh, Joseph, two dreams. Um, we know that these dreams are from God. He didn't have to tell these things in this way um, to his brothers and then to, to his parents, but they are dreams from God, aren't they? Because what he dreamt about becomes true. His brothers will bow down to him. And not just that. But his parents will come. His father will come. And actually, he'll be so highly elevated in, this, in the position of the stars. And the, even the parents will bow down to him. That happens later on. We know that God gave him these dreams. God is present there. And it's not just the dreams. If you count all the coincidences that happen in this story, there are too many for, it to, uh, for them to be coincidences. The simple fact in verse thirteen that Jacob believes that his sons went to Shechem is not a coincidence. Shechem, of course, is a town uh, not too far away from where they lived, but also it's a big town. Uh, lots of people were around, as we know uh, that, that that man is there isn't uh, um, uh, when uh, Joseph arrives, and Jacob probably felt safe sending uh, 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 Jacob probably felt safe sending Joseph there because it is close, because it is crowded. Uh, but when they go, when Joseph goes, his brothers uh, are not there. They are at Dothan. They end up at Dothan, a small rural place outside of the beaten paths. And it's not unreasonable to believe that actually that Jacob wouldn't have sent uh, uh, Joseph to, um, uh, to, uh, to Dothan if he had known. Because he knows that there are wild and ferocious animals out there that could harm him. But they first go to Shechem, and then they end up in Dothan. And actually, the fact that they ended up in Dothan, it's only there that this sort of scheming is possible because it's a remote place uh, where nobody's watching. But what happens uh, when Joseph actually goes uh, to Shechem is also um, very strange. If you take a look at verse 15, Joseph arrives, and a man finds Joseph wandering around. And then he asked, what are you looking for? And this man exactly knew where the brothers went because he happened to overhear their conversation. Let's go to Dothan. He heard, he heard this private conversation. And there is also Reuben. In order for Joseph to be eventually sold, um, Reuben needed to be uh, present and absent at the right moments. So he was present when they were trying to kill, when they were uh, thinking about killing Joseph, right? And he stops his brothers in verse 21, 22. He says, let's just put him in the cistern because his plan was to bring Joseph back. But strangely, he's not there in the second conversation when they say, let's sell him now to, uh, uh, to, to, do, to these merchants. In verse 29, Reuben laments this. When Reuben returned to the sister and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. We'll find out that this happened. He was present at the right moment. He was absent at the right moment because God wanted Joseph to go to Egypt. And that's exactly where he ends up. And that final verse, and verse 30, is a significant verse. Um, Sorry, 36 is a significant verse. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. I mean, it's one line, but it shows how God is completely in control over all this situation because there he's sold to Potiphar, um, one of Pharaoh's officials, and there he's introduced to Egyptian politics, the country he will eventually run as a second-hand man to Pharaoh. God's will is being carried out through the favoritism. Through Joseph's brattiness, through brothers' jealousy and their evil plotting and sinful actions, God is accomplishing his plan. And once again, I need to say, this doesn't excuse the brothers or Jacob or all these bad things that happen. They are, they need to per, they, they, they are personally responsible and they have also suffer the consequences. But this does mean, though, that God doesn't leave us alone in our sins, with, our, with, with just the consequences alone. This means God is doing something in our lives, in the midst of all the things that happen in our lives. He is accomplishing His plan. Sin is devastating. It not only repeats, but in some ways gets perpetuated. And so isn't it amazing that God doesn't leave us alone in our sins At the end of the story, we'll see how God not only saves this family, but he had a plan to save entire Egypt and many other people who relied on Egypt. But not only that, not only physically saved, but God had a plan to reconcile this family. And Jacob also, who seemed immune to learning any lessons from his past, at the end of Genesis, we'll see how he has matured. That he'll he'll have grown in wisdom. He'll have known that actually he'll know that that God was intimately present in his life. And he'll confess that. God works through all of this. And I don't know what you might be going through right now. Maybe you are suffering consequences of your sins. Maybe you are uh, having a really hard time and you're asking, God, where are you? Well, he is intimately present in your life accomplishing His plan, His mission. Of course, we see this most clearly in Jesus. He came to be with us because He doesn't want to leave us in our sins. He came to save us from the suffering, the greatest consequence of our sin, which is God's just wrath, by dying for us on the cross. He came to reconcile us to Himself and to others. He came so that we might have the Holy Spirit, that we might become um, more and more, we might be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. And he did all that, remember, through the sinful actions of sinful men. But God's plan was never thwarted. Isn't that great news? That God, we are not alone. That God doesn't leave us alone. Let's pray. Lord, we confess our sins before you. And Lord, we pray that as we come to this communion table, as we come to the time of offering, you'll send your spirit, you'll fill us with your spirit, help us to examine our hearts, help us examine our minds, help us examine our character, that you may bring to the fore uh, where we we are wrong, what we have done wrong, where our character flaws are. Help us to be aware of them. And we thank you that we are not alone in dealing with our actions, the consequences of our actions. We thank you that ultimately you are God who is completely sovereign over our lives. Help us to trust you as we go, and help us to trust you, especially when we feel abandoned. Lord, give us this faith that can always turn to you, that always trusts you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.